This is KMTT, and this is the weekly share in Agadot Chelek, and this is Ezubek. We're continuing where we left off last week on the Dav Tzadibet Amud Aleph. We're going to actually start a pretty new topic today, but first we have to complete, at least to read, the uh, last few lines of that which has been our main topic for the last several weeks, which is... Um, what is the source? What is a source? Uh, a biblical textual source for the resurrection of the dead. And the last thing that we read was the Ma'amar of Rav, uh, of, uh, Rav Sheshet, And I pointed out last week that I thought that that meant, even though it's talking about Torah, as opposed to our topic last week, which was Shira. That the point of the thing was that he who teaches others, he who is concerned about the future, he who is part of the link of the eternity of Torah, although Torah is eternal, therefore, relatively speaking, less connected to time, it's above time, but of course it has to be passed on. And he who teaches Torah from generation to generation is injecting Torah with the concept of the continuation of time, and therefore he would be teaching, he would be teaching Torah again in a future world. Okay, this is followed by, I'll read them quickly, the last of the long series of Mamarim, which began with the words, we're going to be completing that list today um, without spending too much time on the individual Mamarim. In the Bracha of Yaakov Avinu to Ruven, said Yechiruven Ba'ayamot. In a classic rabbinic uh, drosh, it's repetitive, Yechiruven. Ruvain should live and he should not die. Why to say them both? As we therefore uh, derive, Yechi Ruvain ba'olam azeh va'al yamot la'olam haba. Moshe Rabbeinu is giving uh, Ruvain a bracha that uh, his sins will not uh, hold him down and uh, he will live, but live twice, meaning he'll live in the future world as well. Fine. Next, Mama Ravina Mamehacha. What's interesting about the next two psukim, um, which are from Daniel, is that they're not, in fact, hints obscure hints at all. They're the explicit, the, the the real source for the concept of resurrection. I think the reason why this wasn't quoted at the very, very beginning of the discussion on the Gemara uh, three uh, pages uh, before is because it's not Min HaTorah. What the Gemara originally was looking for was Sukim in the Torah and not in the Nevi'im. Um, but since we're completing it, so they, they come to these Sukim which are quite explicit. Nevi'im HaMamehacha. Daniel, 12th Perak. And many of those who sleep in the dust will awaken, some for eternal life, and some for disgrace and everlasting condemnation. The Pasuk, I don't know if there's any other Pshat, that is the real Pshat. The Pasuk is saying that in the future there will be resurrection, for eternal life. And of Ashi, from the same Perak, Quotes the the final line of what the angel is saying to Daniel, "Ve'ata, uh, and you lech leketz ve'tanuach ve'tamod legolacha leketz ayamin." You go to your destiny and rest, meaning you will die. But in the end, tamod legolacha, you will stand for your fate at the end of days. Which also implies that chetametim is at the end of days. The pasuk which is quoted almost every time you go to a funeral. Um, and finally. A last and somewhat interesting Ma'amar, Amar Rabbi Lazar, 
כל פרנס שמנהיג את הציבור בנחת, זוכה ומנהיגם לעולם הבא. A leader. פרנס means a, uh, means a leader, political leader, who conducts his leadership over the public. בנחת. How should we translate that? With motivation? It means not, not being overly dictatorial. בנחת, with motivation, with pleasantness. זוכה ומנהיגם לעולם הבא. He will be their leader. I stress manhigam. He won't be a leader. He'll be their leader in the future, which is what the Pasuk that's quoted actually says. Ki merachamam yinahagem. Ve'al mabu'emayim yinahalem. He who has mercy, he who has consideration for a group, will be their leader. So, what, 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 this is an interesting idea because it doesn't have that much to do with chetamitim, although that's how it's being applied. What it's first of all saying, what the Pasuk says, is that a necessary ingredient, a necessary condition for leadership is consideration for those who you are leading. You can step on their heads. Obviously, um, this doesn't apply only to democracy. Uh, Rabina is thinking of the fact that many leaders are, uh, are dictatorial or authoritative. He's saying you can trample on the heads of your, of your flock, or you can try to lead them, but lead them with consideration for them. And that's what the Pasuk says, he who has mercy, he who pities someone, shall be his leader. He will lead them to pools of water. I think the background of the Pasuk is the idea of a shepherd. And we know that the great leaders of early Jewish history were shepherds, and Chazal said explicitly, that's why. Moshe Rabbeinu knew how to lead and take care of the flocks of sheep, and therefore he was a leader. So this actually is just talking about leadership in general, but because it's written in a, in, 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 in a future tense, so uh, Rabbi Raza said, if you did it once, you get to do it again, because you're the true leader, you were the one who cared for them, therefore you should be the leader in the future. Which leads us to our topic for today, because what the Gemara here now does, is something which happens very often in Shas, and that is that having quoted somebody, it quotes other things that he said. The, the connection is personal rather than topical. Which is how we get to have now a finally a new topic. The Amar Rabbi Elazar, the same person, he now have a string of things he said about a different topic altogether. The topic is De'ah or Da'at. Which doesn't here mean knowledge. It means intelligence of a particular kind, which we will immediately see. Amar Rabbi Elazar, Gidola De'ah, Shenitna bein shtei otiyot. Great is de'a because it was given between two words. Shenema kikel de'ot Hashem. We see from the example, and this Havashi explains it, that between two words, all words appear between two words. Right? But it's found between two names of God. It says kikel de'ot Hashem. So the word de'ot appears between kel and Hashem. And therefore, this proves, according to Abelaza, that great is that. It's a great thing that it appears like this. Okay, so our first question is, like, what does it mean? Like, what, why does that make uh, they are great? Because it happens to appear between the two names of God in a pasuk in in uh, in uh, Shmuel Aleph. So I think the answer is a very important answer because it really indicates not it's not a proof of something is great, but it's the proof of why it is great and what's so special about that. I think the idea of that if some a word appears between two names of God that indicate something about it because the names of God really form a unity. We very often have double names, Hashem Elohim. Uh, Kel Deot Hashem 
is grammatically the name of God. Keldeot Hashem. Keldeot is the name of God. Keldeot Hashem means God is, is, is Keldeot. By having the word appear between two other names of God, in some sense, the Durush says, this word is also the name of God, or it participates in the name of God. And therefore, great is De'a, that it was able to be combined into the complex name of God of Keldeot Hashem. Now, why is this true? I mean, I know the Pasuk says it, but what does it mean? What, 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 what is so special about De'a that it has this status? And I think the answer is, and this will be uh, hopefully explicated in the other Mamarim that we're going to read, that Chazal and the Balaza here are crediting intelligence, crediting wisdom. I just changed my translation. They're crediting wisdom with a character that's different than almost anything else in the world. And what they're really saying is that intelligence isn't something created by God in the world, like trees, or water, or riches. Intelligence is a quality of God Himself. If a person has intelligence, if a person has wisdom, he's not getting a benefit from God, he's sharing in God. This, I think, is the meaning, I've written about this in, in, a, in a different context, this, I think, is the meaning of the first bracha in Shemon the request bracha, it's the fourth bracha. Chonein hadat. What does the word chonein hadat mean? I think it does, it's, it's, it's more or less a synonym with who gives us that. But it doesn't say notein dat, it says chonein dat. Chonein is a word which means he shares of himself. If you think about the other context in tefillah, where chonein appears, which is bekat koanim, it doesn't even bear a, a, a direct object. What does mean? It, it can't mean to give, and he will give you. You're missing the direct object. V'yichunecha means he will, like the beginning of the Pasuk, he will shine his face on you. He will open himself to you. So of course, in the end, there will be some benefit from that. Which is why the Midrash on that Pasuk in, in, uh, in uh, Sefer Bamidbar asks, and, and what does one get? But the Pasuk doesn't say so. And all the occasions of the verb lachanon that appear in Tanakh don't have a direct object. Yosef says to Binyamin, Elokim God should favor you. I'm guessing that's the English translation. So why then is the one place in Filah where there is a direct object, why is it Chonein Hadat? The answer is because it's not he will make that and give it to you, but he will favor you by shining his countenance on you by smiling at you, by being favorable to you, which is to share in God's embrace. And that is that. That is, that is wisdom. Because wisdom, at least in the eyes of Chazal, is divine. It's not something created, it's the truth. And it's, so to speak, part of God's inner life. That's what it means, Kikel Deot Hashem. Gedolat Dea, Shinitna Bein Shtei Otiyot. Daya appears as part of the God complex, part of God's complex, complex name. 
And therefore we see that it's great, meaning it's greater than everything else. It's not a lot of money. It's not a lot of, of, of blessing given to, showered on you by God. It is, so to speak, God Himself. If you realize what the Tefillah in Shwanesve says, we say, Chaneinu, the request for, for wisdom is, Chaneinu me'ittecha de'a bina vaskel. Grant us from yourself wisdom, intelligence, and understanding. What does it mean, me'ittecha? No other Bach has it. We don't say, God, give us uh, 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 money, or give us health. Me'ittecha, from yourself. Give us. Produce it. But here it's me'itcha because it is from God. Not, not in the sense that that's the source of the power. It's not a, the source of it isn't in God's power. The source of it is God Himself. It comes, so to speak, from within. Me'itcha means from within yourself. Share with us the Abinava Haskel. And that is what I think what Belaz was saying. Gedola Dea. Dea is much more valuable than anything else because it's Nitna Bench It's part of God's, the name means the essence. As very often in Chazal, the name defines, it's the, the reference which defines the actual object. The name of God is God. And this we see from uh, the continuation of Rabbi Lazar again. Rabbi Lazar, Gadol Mikdash, Shenitan Ben Shteotiot. Using the same method of determining something is great. By seeing what appears between two names of God, Rabbi says that the Mikdash, the Beit Mikdash is great, for it was given between two Words, two names of God. Pa'alta Hashem, Mikdash Hashem, Konanu Yadecha. The end of Shiratayam. And notice that here it's not even grammatically correct. He's eliding a, um, a stop. Pa'alta Hashem, Mikdash Hashem, Konanu Yadecha. So it says Hashem, Mikdash Hashem. It's a Jewish, he's allowed to do that. But the word Mikdash appears between two names of God. Now, to say that the Mikdash is great because it appears with two names of God is almost begging the explanation I just gave. What is great about the Mikdash? Not that it's tall. Not that it's beautiful. Not that it's inspiring. Not that it's expensive. But that it is Gilu Shechina. It's the place of revelation. It's the place of God's presence. It's the locus, so to speak, of God's presence in the world. So in that sense, one who goes to the Mikdash is experiencing He's experiencing revelation of God's presence. And that's what it means that it's Bein Shteotiot. Hashem Mikdash Hashem. The Mikdash shares, so to speak, in God. Because Mikdash is where God is found. He who, is, he who experiences Mikdash is experiencing God. Now, Ravada asked him a very interesting question. He doesn't like the method. Matkif la Rabbi Ada. Rav Adha Kachina asked the following question, if you, anytime you find a word between two names of God, it means that it's great. I think great in the sense I just said. Well, I have a very interesting example for you. Elame'ata, if that is true, then G'dola Nikama, then vengeance is great. Shenitna bein shtei otiyo tekhtiv, kel nikamot Hashem, kel nikamot ofiyah. It says, kel nikamot Hashem. Obviously, Rav Adha Kachina, thinks that that's absurd. To say that vengeance is great doesn't make any sense. Why not? Why is it? Maybe it is. Maybe vengeance is a great thing. Some people think so. But of course, what Be'ada was saying is that, no, no, when you say great, you mean it's the presence of God. 
In the Mikdash there is God. In wisdom there is God. In vengeance, God is found. God is revealed. In acts of vengeance, that he couldn't take. That he thought, it might be a nice thing, it might be a good thing, it might be a mitzvah sometimes. But it's not a manifestation of the revelation of, 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 of the divine in the world. What did Rabbi Lazar answer? Amalei limiltei hachinami. It's a bit unclear to what the words exactly mean. But it's clear. I mean, I know what it means in general. It means hachinami. He says, yes. I accept your, you're pushing me, reduct you out of Sodom. I go all the way. Yes, it is true that gedola nikama. Vengeance is great because it's part of God's name. How can I say that? He explains. Kidda Ula. I know you think it's surprising, but no, Ula explained it. The Amma Ula Shtei Hofayot Halalu Lama. Says, Kel Nikamot Hashem, Kel Nikamot So why does it say it twice? Kel Nikamot Hashem, and then again, Kel Nikamot Hofia. Shtei Hofayot Ha'elu. It doesn't, it doesn't say Mofia twice, but it says about two, it says Kel Nikamot Hashem, and also Kel Nikamot. Twice it says, Kel Nikamot Shalofia, should appear. So Ula says, why does it say it twice? Achat lemidat tova, v'achat lemidat puranot. This is very difficult to understand. Rav Ada thought that he was asking an unanswerable question. Are you willing to say that vengeance is great? Again, interpreting the way I interpret it. Are you willing to say that vengeance is part of God's manifestation and revelation in the world? And Rav Ada said, yes I am. Why? Because of Ula. What did Ula say? It says twice, Kalnikamot Hashem. Kalnikamot Ophir. It said twice because one is for a good midah, one is for a good attribute, and one is for a bad attribute. What's the connection? Like, how does that answer the question? How does that defend Rabbi Laza's surprising statement that vengeance is great? Because Ula said that it's written twice in the Pasuk, once for the good and once for the bad. So Vashi here explains, and I think he's saying the correct explanation. Um, there is the vengeance appears twice, once for good and once for bad. Once for good is Shal Yisrael. The vengeance is good for the Jews. It doesn't refer to any particular act of vengeance as we normally assume some sort of destruction uh, uh, brought on, on evildoers. He says the when God punishes or takes vengeance on his enemies, that's a sign that God's shechina, God's presence is not on everybody. He's divorced himself from the nations of the world and come to the Jews and come to Israel. But Kavidei Nekamot, and it's called vengeance, even though it's not vengeance, we're saying it's, it's good for the Jews. But it's called Nikamot Mishum Shetigmul Tov Hushazachud Shechina Al Shamun Naseven Ishma. But Nikama Haynu Tigmul. Saying the word, Rashi says the word vengeance here means any sort of payback, any sort of compensation. So the name of God is is called on Israel because they said Naseven Ishma. They chose God. God therefore chose them. That's the first Nikama Tova. And the other one is, is the bad nekama, not bad evil, the, the nekama of, of destruction. That they are paid back for their evil deeds at, on the day of judgment. 
נוקם השם ובעל חמא לעקום שהוא בעצמו ובכבודו נפרע מהם, והיינו הופעה. אני קורא את זה גמר מן עבודה זרה, תעשה זה ב-day of judgment, the final reckoning, the end of days, that God will take vengeance against the idolaters, personally, הוא בעצמו ובכבודו נפרע מהם. והיינו הופעה, that's what's called הופעה. So what is, what is Rashi basically explaining? What is he explaining that Ula is saying? He's saying that the Pasuk doesn't say that every time the evil are punished, that that's revelation. Remember, the Pasuk says the word revelation. You don't even need the obscure proof from the two names of God. It says, Kel Nikamot Hashem, Kel Nikamot Hofia. The God of vengeance will be revealed, will be disclosed. So of course the Pasuk is talking about it. But, Babi, uh, but, but Ula explains that doesn't mean that every act of vengeance is, or every act of punishment is an act of revelation. But it's referring to one of two things. That's why it says it twice. One is the very fact that God gave the Torah to Amisar Baha Sinai, that He put His name, chose the Jews, and He put His name on Israel. Before that, there was just humanity. And from Baha Sinai, there's the people of God and the rest of humanity. That's called vengeance, meaning it was a it was a compensation, it was a it was a recompense for the Jews. But of course, what is the uh, what is the expression of Matan Torah? Revelation Hasinai. It's yes, it's the presence of God in the most dramatic manner uh, 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 possible. The second one is clearly Pu'anut, it's some form of a punishment. So Rashi explains, but it's Hafiya. And it means at the end of days, God will personally wreak vengeance on His enemies. Now what does that mean? Why is that called revelation? I'm a little bit nervous here. I, I share with some of my listeners now the feeling which Rav Ada surely thought we should feel that even if vengeance is the proper thing, to call it revelation, to call it the presence of God, is going too far. But I think I know what Ul is trying to say. There's a difference between punishment and vengeance. Punishment is something that's uh, carried out by a judge. But vengeance can't be carried out by a judge. For a very simple reason. Vengeance is something that's done by somebody who's been personally hurt. Now, if, if someone committed a crime against a judge, that judge can't be his judge. Because judges have to be impartial. According to the halacha, if you have a personal grievance against the man in front of you, you can't be his judge. You're disqualified from judging him. So, when we describe God as punishing evildoers, we're describing him as a judge, impartial, neutral, so to speak. But when we describe God as taking vengeance, we're saying that evildoers injure, so to speak, injure God, injure God's name. They've done things against God, not just against the law. God's presence in the world is attacked, is impugned by evil. God's kingship over the world is overturned by evil. And these psukim say, undoubtedly metaphorically, that God takes that personally. And therefore, at the end of days, He won't merely order the executioner, the people in charge of punishment, to take punishment, but 
Nokem Hashem Uba'al Chema. Notice what the Pasuk says, that God takes vengeance and He is um, the master of anger. Again, if you're a judge, you can't be angry. If you're angry, then you're distorting your, your ability to judge. But yes, it's personal. Shahu ba'atzmo uvichvodo nifrabahem. Vahaynu hofa'ah. So yes, I don't think that the Gemara here is saying that if you see a terrible act of punishment, if you see a storm that destroys cities or an earthquake, that you should, you should feel the power of God, but that you should see it as a revelation of God. There's no kdusha, no special kdusha in such a thing. But there is an aspect, sometimes, Rashi says the end of days, of sometimes where, aside from justice being served, there's also God taking on personal responsibility, personal action. And in that, yes, even though it's terrible to behold, but there is a revelation of God. When God will not merely say, okay, justice should be done, but He will come and personally take on the conflict and the battle with the evil. So that will be a great day of revelation. So, okay, this was a conversation between Rav Ada Kachina and Rav Olazah. Rav Olazah stood, stood his ground. He understood it was difficult. He had to bring in Ula to help him out, but he's willing to say that it applies even then. But now we get back to Rav Olazah on, on wisdom, on De'a, because he hasn't finished. Amar Rav Olazah, Kol Adam sheyesh bo De'a, ki ilu nivna beit hamikdash biyamav. He puts together the previous two Ma'amangim. On one hand, he said that De'a is great because it's between two names. Two, he said that the Mikdash is great because it's between two names. And now he says that if you have De'a, you also have a Beta Mikdash. Why? Because they're both between two names. It's not a particularly logical kind of thing. There could be another ten things like that. He said since they both have this status of being between two names, therefore there's a connection between them. How can we understand this? I think I've, I think I've explained it well. It's not just that they both have the same textual source at some point. They share the quality that I try to describe. Daya is the presence of God. Mikdash is the presence of God. That allows me to say that he who has wisdom and intelligence, it's as though the Beit HaMikdash has been built in his days. What does that mean? What is Beit HaMikdash? It's a place for God to dwell. Somebody who has intelligence, to some extent, is exper- he's personally experiencing a place for God to dwell, because God dwells within him. God is Chochmah Vadat. And therefore, if your mind, if your soul, if your heart is a repository of that, then that is a form of, this is a little bit extreme, I admit, but that's a form of Beit HaMikdash. So anyone who has, has there. He's the master of intelligence and wisdom. It's as though a physical temple has been built in which God can dwell. There are still more statements of Abelazah about that. One more positive one. They're becoming more and more surprising. The next one I find a bit difficult. I will try to explain. Ve'amar Abelazah. Kol adam she'yesh bo mit asher. I admit I was very surprised to read this. He who has intelligence 
eventually, the self, in the end, he will become rich. This is a bit hard to accept. Not that we have anything against riches. Chazal really do not have a, a negative attitude towards rich people. Uh, unlike uh, some other uh, uh, religious leaders of the time. Chazal would never say it is more difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is to put an elephant through the eye of a, uh, through the eye of a needle. But on the other hand, it's not, you don't expect this to be the way to praise wisdom. I mean, I find it hard to, can you imagine going to a yeshiva and the mashkiach gets up and says, Jews, you should pursue wisdom. Why? Because it'll make you rich. It's not the way we think. So I'll tell you what I think, what I think he's saying here. That's why the word lisof appears here. He's not saying that the wages of wisdom is money. It might very well be, and he, I'm sure he doesn't personally know many uh, wise sages who are not particularly well off. Lisof mitlasher. Somehow, in the end, they'll have a rich life. You could claim that maybe he's being metaphorical. Maybe richness doesn't mean money. Maybe it means something else. The pasuk that's quoted though says, And hon means possessions. So I think what he's saying is the following, based on our explanation up till now. Intelligence is the presence of God. It's not that you did a mitzvah. He doesn't say that if you wear tzitzis, you'll become rich. He didn't say if you learn Torah, you'll be rich. He said if you acquire God's presence in your life, you will be rich. And this, while it doesn't always seem to be true in practicalities, but in principle, Rabbi Lezer believes that it has to be true. The presence of God is expressed, unless something interferes, but the presence of God is expressed by Yes, by better material goods. This also might be something which might surprise some other religious people or other religions. But to Chazal, it was clear that there isn't a war or antagonism between the material world and the spiritual world. In the proper course of things, there are many reasons why it doesn't take place, among which is sin, among which is other things. But properly speaking, the presence of God is immediately expressed in overabundance. The most famous case, of course, is when the Aaron, uh, the Aaron HaKodesh, the Aaron HaBrit, the Holy Ark was traveling. The Bidamelech was bringing it to Yushalayim. And a terrible accident took place. And therefore they stopped the procession. And the Aaron was placed in the house of Obed Edom HaGiti. A man who either wasn't Jewish or maybe a Ger, maybe not even Jewish at all. But was simply placed in his house. And then it turns out that he's blessed in material goods. And David Melech sees that and therefore goes and realizes that it's time to keep going and brings the Aaron to, to, to Yerushalayim. It's, it was just seen automatically true that if the Aaron is in your house, your house will be blessed. The presence of God is blessing. Blessing in the material sense, not blessing in some other sense. So that's what he's saying. Now I know, he says, it. you don't always see this. It's not so snap of the fingers. But I tell you, l'sof mitasheh. Because if you're truly the mishkan of that, if you're truly a temple to wisdom, then l'sof mitasheh, it has to be true. 
It is a dull age too. I, I think so. And I, I, was, I don't think he was telling you as a recommendation. You should be wise in order to become rich. He was saying to you, you should be wise because wisdom is the presence of true basis of reality. And therefore, not that it's worth your while. That's a fact that the blessing is found in that place. The blessing hasn't finished and we're actually running out of time. And I don't have a good explanation for the next two mamarim. They are truly extraordinary and I think that they aren't meant to be practically carried out. I will read them and leave them for you to think about till next week. Till now we've been saying what's good about wisdom. Now we're going to say what's bad about not having wisdom. What's bad about being a fool. A man who has no intelligence. It is forbidden to have mercy for him. I want to remind you. We have a pasuk that says, God has mercy on everyone. It's forbidden to have mercy on the foolish. If you have no bina, different word, but means intelligence, that is why God has no mercy on you. We have to try to explain this. And another mama, which is even worse, if you give bread to one who has no intelligence, you share bread. He's a poor person. You give him something to eat. Yisurin ba'in alav. You will be afflicted. Shenemah lach machai yasimu mazot achtecha. Ein tevuna bo. Ve'in mazor el yisurim. Shenemah v'yar Ephraim et choyov yudat mezor. Okay, so I, I'm going to quit now. If someone can suggest to himself or to me, or we'll discuss it next week, as to how it's possible, even, I think it's exaggerated, but even exaggeration to say, that he who is not he who sins doesn't say that if you machal Shabbos we should have no mercy on you. Doesn't say that if you're a bad person, I'm not allowed to give you any bread. On the contrary, but a person without intelligence, whatever that means exactly, a person who is a true fool, you're not allowed to have mercy on him. You're not allowed to share your bed with him. Assuming that's exaggerated, but nonetheless it's expressing a certain thought, and I'd like to try to understand what that thought is. And with that, we'll leave till next week. Call to a